0: This is Resident 104.4 FM, flipping marvellous. How are you? Tis I, Nicholas of Hennigan, coming at you for yet another session of Literary London, where we talk about things kind of literary and, um, well, sort of Londony. It's in the title, as I've said before. And, and we've got a bit of an unusual uh, show for you this time. Ha <laughs> ha! Because, well, it's, I say literally London, we're going to be talking a little bit about Ireland, Dublin, the land of James Joyce. And more specifically, the book, the novel, Ulysses, which is um, James Joyce's modernist novel. Um, Everyone knows Ulysses, or knows of it at least. Many people have lied about reading it, Um, and I never have, actually, to be honest. So I thought what we'd do (laughs) in a Residence FM uh, bohemianbritain.com first is I thought I'd read it for the very first time with you out loud. Hmm? Yeah, well, because it was a modernist novel, as I say, uh, first serialized in parts in the American journal, The Little Review, uh, from March 1918 to December 2020, I think it was. But then it was published in its entirety in Paris, I think it was Shakespeare and Company, wasn't it, Um, by uh, Sylvia Beach on the 2nd of February 2022, James Joyce's 40th birthday. Now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the British Library are running a few events around this uh, momentous uh, happening. I do believe there's a talk about Sylvia Beach as well. I'm going to try and track that down uh, and see if I can find it for you. But, um, yeah, so the book was kind of, as someone said, uh, was it Declan Kiebert, the the critic? Before Joyce, no writer of fiction, had so foregrounded the process of thinking. Now, if you don't know, <coughs> Ulysses, Ulysses uh, chronicles the sort of appointments and meetings of an itinerant chappie called Leopold Bloom in Dublin in the course of an ordinary day, at the 16th of June, 1904. And of course, um, Bloom's Day is celebrated to this day on the 16th of June every year. So Ulysses is the Latinized name of Odysseus, apparently, um, the he- hero, of course, of Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey. And this book establishes a series of parallels between the poem and the novel with structural sort of correspondences between the characters and experiences of Bloom and Odysseus. So Money Bloom's in there as well, Penelope. Stephen Daedalus, Daedalus, I'll go with Daedalus, and uh, Telemachus. <laughs> Telemachus. <laughs> I told you it's the first time I've read it as well. So, in addition to the events and the various sort of themes of earlier 20th century uh, sort of context of modernism, Dublin, and, and it talks about Ireland's, of course, relationship to Britain. Uh, very highly elusive, the novel is. Also, it imitates the style of different periods of English literature. So, it's attracted controversy, really, ever since it was first published, ranging from an obscenity trial in the United States in 1921, apparently to uh, Joyce Wars, the novel stream of consciousness technique and structuring and experimental prose, which has got all sorts of puns and parodies and illusions, and its rich characterization and broad humour has led it to be regarded as one of the greatest literary words, works in history. James Joyce fans worldwide. Now celebrate the 16th of June as Bloomsday, as I already mentioned. So um, a lot of people talk about it, and not many people have read it. And it's become a bit of a, yeah, what, what, sorry, what party? Yeah, sorry, pass the champers, Where's the foie gras and the cheddar? Oh, foie gras. yeah No, I'm from Birmingham. i have cheddar. Uh, yeah, oh, oh, Ulysses. Yeah, yeah, mate, yeah. God, rock on, Bloom. <laughs> yeah, what a great guy he is. I actually knew someone called Andy Bloom, and it was, oh, I still do know someone called Andy Bloom. He's actually in France now. Uh, And I can use him at any time. I need to talk about, oh, Bloom's exploits. Oh, yeah, I know them very well. I'm talking about Andy Bloom rather than Leopold Bloom, Bloom, who is, of course, the star of Ulysses. So it's kind of one of those things that not everyone admits to not having read, and I do. And so I thought what I'd do is sort of an experiment, really. If you've not read Ulysses, or if you have, by the way, you're an intellectual, then you've got to forgive me because I'm bound to get some of the pronunciation wrong. I know there's quite a bit of Latin in it for a start, and I didn't do Latin, you know. Eh? Well, who needs the language of a dead civilization? You know, the joke. What was that from that film? If, it, anyway, whatever. Uh, So I haven't read Ulysses. (coughs) So I thought to celebrate the 100th anniversary of its publication, it was about time I got my hands dirty, or at least my eyes and my gob dirty. And so, dear listener, I ask you to sit back but well, maybe open a can of Guinness. Maybe not, because I don't know what Ulysses is about, really. I mean, apart from Bloom. Uh, so sit back and with me, let's delve into the first part of Ulysses together. You ready for that? <coughs> 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 yeah, that's preparation. Hang on, where's me drink? Cheers. <sighs> I've got to be t- t- to Irish, isn't it? You know? Actually, I'm only drinking squash, but don't tell anyone. Oh, this this Irish whiskey's is really strong. Mm. On top of the 14 pints of Guinness that I've just drunk. <coughs> Man, I haven't drunk 14 pints of Guinness either. And don't you do it. Come on, it's not big and it's not clever, is it? No, of course it's not. Right. Oh, okay. mm. Right then. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I've got a bit of a cold as well, so what else can I apologise for? Um, the situation in the third world? Yeah. Okay. So, here we go. We are discovering, possibly for the first time, uh, or first, certainly it's the first time for me, I've never read this before, it's Ulysses by James Joyce. Hey, thank you. <clears throat> Chapter one. Stately plump buck mulligan came from the stairhead, bearing a bowl of lather on which a mirror and a razor lay crossed. A yellow dressing gown, ungirdled, was sustained gently behind him on the mild morning air. He held the bowl aloft and intoned, Oh, here we go. In trouble ad day. Halted, he peered down the dark, winding stairs and called out coarsely, Come up, Kinch! Come up, you fearful Jesuit! Solemnly, he came forward and mounted the round gunrest. He faced about and blessed gravely thrice the tower, the surrounding land, and the awakening mountains. Then, catching sight of Stephen Dedalus, 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 let's do with Dedalus. He bent towards him and made rapid crosses in the air, gurgling in his throat and shaking his head. Stephen Dedalus, displeased displeased and sleepy, leaned his arms on the top of the staircase and looked coldly at the shaking, gurgling face that blessed him, equine in its length, and at the light and tousled hair, grained and hewed like pale oak. Buck Milligan peeped an instant under the mirror and then covered the bowl smartly. Back to barracks, he said sternly. He added in a preacher's tone. For this, oh dearly beloved, is the genuine Christine. Body and soul and blood and bones." Slow music, please. Shut your eyes, gents. One moment. A little troubled about those white corpuscles. Silence all he peered sideways up and gave a long slow whistle of a call then paused a while in rapt attention his even white teeth glistening here and there with gold points christomostos two strong shrill whistles answered through the calm thanks old chap he cried briskly that'll do nicely switch off the current will you He skipped off the gunrest and looked gravely at his watcher, gathering about his legs the loose folds of his gown. The plump shadowed face and sullen oval jowl recalled a prelate, patron of arts in the Middle Ages. A pleasant smile broke quietly over his lips. The mockery of it, he said gaily. Your absurd name, an ancient Greek. He pointed his finger in friendly jest and went over to the parapet laughing to himself. Stephen Dedalus stepped up, followed him wearily, and sat down on the edge of the gunrest, watching him still as he propped his mirror on the parapet, dipped the brush in the bowl, and lathered cheeks and neck. Buck Mulligan's gay voice went on. My name is absurd, too. Malky Mulligan, two dactyls. But it has a Hellenic ring, hasn't it? tripping and sunny like the buck himself. We must go to Athens. Will you come if I can get the aunt to fork out twenty quid? He laid the brush aside, and, laughing with delight, cried, Will he come? The Jesuit?' Jesuits Ceasing, he began began to shave with care. Tell me, Mulligan, Stephen said quietly. Yes, my love? How long is Haines going to stay in this tower? Buck Mulligan "'showed a shaven cheek over his right shoulder. "'God, isn't he dreadful?' he said frankly. "'A ponderous Saxon. He thinks you're not a gentleman. "'God, he's bloody English. "'Burst in with money and indigestion. "'Because he comes from Oxford, you know, Daedalus, "'you have a real Oxford manner. "'He can't make you out. "'Oh, my name for you is the best. "'Kinch, the knife blade.' "'He shaved wearily over his chin.' He was raving all night about a black panther, Stephen said. Where is his gun case? A woeful lunatic, Mulligan said. Were you in a funk? I was, Stephen said with energy and growing fear. Out here in the dark with a man I don't know, raving and moaning to himself about shooting a black panther. You saved men from drowning. I'm not a hero, however. If he stays on here, I am off. Buck Mulligan frowned at the lava on his razor blade. He hopped down from his perch and began to search his trouser pockets hastily. Scutter! he cried thickly. He came over to the gunrest and, thrusting a hand into Stephen's upper pocket, said, Lend us a loan of your nose rag to wipe my razor. Stephen suffered him to pull out and hold up on show by its corner a dirty, crumpled handkerchief. Buck Mulligan wiped the razor blade neatly and then gazing over the handkerchief he said The Bard's nose rag A new art colour for our Irish poets Snot green You can almost taste it, can't you? He mounted to the parapet again and gazed out over Dublin Bay his fair oak pale hair stirring slightly God, he said quietly isn't the sea what algae calls it? A great sweet mother. The snot-green sea. The scrotum-tightening sea. epi ponton Ah, uh, dedalus The Greeks, I must teach you. You must read them in the original. Thalata! Thalata! She is our great sweet mother. Come and look. Stephen stood up and went over to the parapet. Leaning on it, he looked down on the water and on the mailboats clearing the harbour mouth of Kingston. Our mighty mother, Buck Mulligan said. He turned abruptly, his grey searching eyes from the sea to Stephen's face. The aunt thinks you killed your mother, he said. That's why she won't let me have anything to do with you. Someone killed her, Stephen said gloomily. "'You could have knelt down, damn it, Kinch, "'when your dying mother asked you,' Buck Mulligan said. "'I'm hyperborean as much as you, "'but to think of your mother begging you "'with her last breath to kneel down and pray for her, "'and you refused. "'There is something sinister in you.' "'He broke off and lathered again lightly his father cheek. "'A tolerant smile curled his lips. "'But a lovely mummer he murmured to himself. "'Kinch!' the loveliest mummer of them all. He shaved evenly and with care in silence, seriously. Stephen, an elbow rested on the jagged granite, leaned his palm against his brow and gazed at the fraying edge of his shiny black coat sleeve. Pain, that was not yet the pain of love, fretted his heart, silently, In a dream she had come to him after her death, her body wasted within its loose brown grave clothes, giving off an odour of wax and rosewood. Her breath that had bent upon him, mute, reproachful, a faint odour of wetted ashes. Across the threadbare coffrage he saw the sea hailed as a great sweet mother by the well-fed voice behind him. The ring of bay and skyline held a dull green mass of liquid, A bowl of white china had stood beside her deathbed, holding the green sluggish bile which she had torn up from her rotting liver by fits of loud, groaning, vomiting. Buck Mulligan wiped again his razor blade. "'Ah, poor dog's body,' he said in a calm voice. "'I must give you a shirt and a few nose rags. "'How are the second-hand breeks?' ''Oh, they fit well enough,'' Stephen answered. Buck Mulligan <coughs> attacked the hollow beneath his underlip. ''The mockery of it,'' he said contentedly. ''Second leg, they should be. God knows what poxy bowsy left them off. I have a lovely pair with a hair-stripe, grey. You look spiffing in them. I'm not joking, Kinch. You look damn well when you're dressed.'' ''Thanks,'' Stephen said. ''But I can't wear them if they are grey. He can't wear them, Buck Mulligan told his face in the mirror. Etiquette is etiquette. He kills his mother, but he can't wear grey trousers. He folded his razor neatly and with stroking pulps of fingers felt the smooth skin. Stephen turned his gaze from the sea into the plump face with its smoke-blue mobile eyes. That fellow I was in, the ship... Uh, "'That fellow I was with in the ship last night,' said Buck Mulligan, "'says you have (coughs) G.P.I. "'He's up in Dottiesville with Connolly Norman, "'general paralysis of the insane.' (laughs) "'He swept the mirror a half-circle in the air "'to flash the tidings abroad in sunlight now radiant on the sea. "'His curling, shaven lips laughed "'and the edges of his white, glittering teeth. Laughter seized all his strong, well-knit trunk.' Look at yourself, he said, you dreadful bard. Stephen bent forward and peered at the mirror held out to him, cleft by a crooked crack, hair on end. He, as as he and others see me, who chose this face for me, this dog's body to rid of vermin? It asks me too. I pinched it out of a skivvy's room, Buck Mulligan said. It does her all right. The aunt always keeps plain-looking servants for Malachi. "'Lead him not into temptation, and her name is Ursula.' Laughing again, he brought the mirror away from Stephen's peering eyes. "'The rage of Caliban at not seeing his face in a mirror,' he said, "'if Wilde were only alive to see you.' Drawing back and pointing, Stephen said with bitterness, "'It is a symbol of Irish art, the cracked looking-glass of a servant.' Buck Milligan suddenly linked his arm in Stephen's and walked with him round the tower, his razor and mirror clacking in the pocket where he had thrust them. "Ah, ''It's not fair to tease you like that, Kinch, is it?'' he said kindly. ''God knows you have more spirit than any of them.'' Parried again. ''He fears the lancet of my art as I fear that of his, the cold steel pen. Cracked looking glass of a servant.'' "'Tell that to the oxy chap downstairs and touch him for a guinea. "'He's stinking with money and thinks you're not a gentleman. "'His old fellow made his tin by selling jalap to Zulus "'or some bloody swindle or other. "'God, Kinch, if you and I could only work together, "'we might do something for the island. "'Helenize it!' "'Cranley's arm, his arm. "'And to think of you having to beg from these swine. "'I'm the only one that knows what you are. "'Why don't you trust me more?' "'What have you up your nose against me?' "'Is it Haynes?' "'If he makes any noise here, I'll bring down Seymour, "'and we'll give him a rag in worse than they gave Clive Kempthorpe.' "'Young shouts of moneyed voices in Clive Kempthorpe's rooms, pale faces. "'They hold their ribs with laughter, one clasping another. "'Oh, I shall expire. Break the news to her gently, Aubrey. I shall die!' With slit ribbons of his shirt whipping the air, he hops and hobbles around the table with trousers down at heels, chased by aides of Magdalen with their tailor's shears. A scared calf's face gilded with marmalade. I don't want to be debagged. Don't you play the giddy ox with me? "'shouts from the open window, startling evening in the quadrangle. "'A deaf gardener, aproned, masked with Matthew Arnold's face, "'pushes his mower on the sombre lawn, "'watching narrowly the dancing motes of grass-harms. "'To ourselves, new paganism, omphalos.' "'Let him stay,' Stephen, said. "'There's nothing wrong with him except at night.' "'Then what is it?' Buck Mulligan asked impatiently. Cough it up. I'm quite frank with you. What have you against me now? They halted, looking towards the blunt cape of bray head that lay on the water like the snout of a sleeping whale. Stephen freed his arm quietly. Do you wish me to tell you? He asked. Yes. What is it? Buck Mulligan answered. I don't remember anything. He looked in Stephen's face as he spoke. A light wind passed his brow, fanning softly his fair, uncombed hair and stirring silver points of anxiety in his eyes. Stephen, depressed by his own voice, said, ''Do you remember the first day I went to your house after my mother's death?'' Buck Mulligan frowned quickly and said, ''What? Where? I can't remember anything. I remember only ideas and sensations. Why? What happened in the name of God?'' "'You were making tea,' Stephen said, and went across the landing to get more hot water. "'Your mother and some visitor came out of the drawing-room. "'She asked you who was in your room?' "'Yes,' but Mulligan said. "'What did I say?' "'I forget.' "'You said,' Stephen answered. "'Oh, it's only Daedalus, whose mother is beastly dead.' A flush which made him seem younger and more engaging rose to Buck Mulligan's cheek. "'Did I say that?' he asked. "'Well, what harm is that?' He shook his constraint from him nervously. "'And what is death?' he asked. "'Your mother's, or yours, or my own. "'You saw only your mother die. "'I see them pop off every day in the Mater and Richmond "'and cut up into tripes in the dissecting room.' It's a beastly thing, and nothing else. It simply doesn't matter. You wouldn't kneel down to pray for your mother on her deathbed when she asked you. Why? Because you have the cursed Jesuit strain in you, only it's injected the wrong way. To me, it's all a mockery and beastly. Her cerebral lobes are not functioning. She calls the doctor Sir Peter Teasel and picks buttercups, buttercups off the quilt. Humor her till it's over. "'You crossed her last wish in death, "'and yet you sulk with me "'because I don't whinge "'like some hired mute from Lalot's. "'Absurd! "'I suppose I did say it. "'I didn't mean to offend "'the memory of your mother.' he had spoken himself into boldness. Stephen, shielding the gaping wounds "'which the words had left in his heart, "'said very coldly, "'I am not thinking of the offence "'to my mother.' "'Of what, then?' "'Buck Mulligan asked. "'Of the offence?' To me, Stephen answered. Buck Mulligan swung round on his heel. Oh, an impossible person, he exclaimed. He walked off quickly around the parapet. Stephen stood at his post, gazing over the calm sea towards the headland. Sea and headland now grew dim. Pulses were beating in his eyes, veiling their sight, and he felt the fever of his cheeks. A voice within the tower called loudly, "'Are you up there, Mulligan?' "'I'm coming,' Buck Mulligan answered. He turned towards Stephen and said, "'Look at the sea. What does it care about offences? "'Chuck Loyola, Kinch, and come on down. "'The Sasavac wants his morning rushes.' His head halted again for a moment at the top of the staircase, level with the roof. "'Don't mope over it all day,' he said. "'I'm inconsequent. Give up the moody brooding.' his head vanished but the drone of his descending voice boomed out of the stairhead and no more turn aside and brood upon love's bitter mystery for fergus rules the brazen cars wood shadows floated silently by through the morning peace from the stairhead seaward where he gazed inshore and further out the mirror of water whitened spurned by light shod hurrying feet white breast of the dim sea. The twinning stresses two by two, a hand plucking the harp strings, merging their twining chords. Wave-white wedded words shimmering on the dim tide. A cloud began to cover the sun slowly, wholly, shadowing the bane deeper green. It lay beneath him, a bowl of bitter waters. Fergus's song. I sang it alone in the house, Holding down the long dark chords. Her door was open. She wanted to hear my music. Silent with awe and pity, I went to her bedside. She was crying in her wretched bed. For those words, Stephen, love's bitter mystery. Where now? Her secrets, old feather fans, tasseled dance cards, powdered with musk, a gourd of amber beans in her locked drawer. A birdcage hung in the sunny window of her house when she was a girl. She heard old Royce sing in the pantomime of Turco the Terrible and laughed with others when he sang, I am the boy that can enjoy invisibility. Phantasmal mirth folded away, musk perfumed, and no more turn aside and brood folded away in the memory of nature with her toys. Memories beset his brooding brain. Her glass of water from the kitchen tap when she had approached the sacrament. A cord apple filled with brown sugar roasting for her at the hob on a dark autumn evening. Her shapely fingernails reddened by the blood of squashed lice from the children's shirts. In a dream, silently, she had come to him. Her wasted body within its loose grave clothes giving off an odour of wax and rosewood. Her breath bent over him with mute, secret words, a faint odour of wetted ashes. Her glazing eyes staring out of death to shake and bend my soul. On me alone, the ghost candle to light her agony. Ghostly light on the tortured face, her hoarse, loud breath rattling in horror while all prayed on their knees, her eyes on me to strike me down. And then there's some Latin, and I think we'll leave it at that point. So, <laughs> ah, there you go. That's So now we can say we've actually read Ulysses. As you may have gathered, I've never actually read that before. So some of the voices were all over the place. And some of the words and the pronunciations, I'm sure you regular literati will... Well, no, I got completely wrong. But I just thought—I just thought I'd do that. Why not? So, you know, let's be honest about it. Literature and the arts is for everyone. It should be enjoyed at whatever level. Um Having started pub theatre in Birmingham 30 years ago, it turns out. Yeah, someone reminded me. I wrote my version of Shakespeare's Henry V called Henry V, Line of England, in 1992. 30 years ago. Shh! I don't know where that went. Um, And we might be doing something to celebrate that as well, uh, just because I can, you know. (laughs) But now you know. If you've never read Ulysses, now you have. We've read it together. Um, And I hope you kind of enjoyed that. And it is kind of a bit all over the place. But not as all over the place as I thought it would be. Obviously, I don't know Latin. We didn't do Latin at Wheeler's Lane Secondary Modern Boys' School, Birmingham. Um, but uh, I don't know Latin. Uh, but it's it's kind of it's attractive, isn't it? It's interesting. Interesting. Um, I will read more. In fact, what I might even do. I'm not sure if we can do another whole episode. But I might actually. I might, We might. We should, we should. Maybe we should sort of put it out in episodes as it originally was before the whole book was published, a hundred years ago this very month. So, thank you for your time. That was, as I say, Ulysses, of course, written by your man, your main man, and uh, by James Joyce, and published uh, in, yes, it was in, I don't know how many parts it was, it was in the American Journal, from March 1918 to December. 1920. So it's a few parts. I'm imagining. I gather it's to read the whole thing takes about 13 or 14 hours at 250 words per minute. Yeah, I researched that beforehand. So if you've got 14 hours to do nothing, then join me again. No, no, we won't. We might might do a little bit more. I want to get on to Leopold Bloom, you see. It's in chapters. Um, But as I say, I've never read any of that before. I've never seen it before until I've just shared it with you. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I might have a, I might actually try and get hold of a, uh, of a, of a full copy and see where Leopold Bloom comes in and see if we can make more sense out of him. But thank you, James Joyce, yeah, and thank you, Ulysses, and well done to uh, what was her name, uh, Sylvia Beach, who published the book in its entirety in Paris, as I say, this month, nineteen twenty-two, hundred years ago. I think it was Shakespeare and Company did it. Uh, fantastic shop, which I've, I've not been there either. There's a lot I've not done, really. Hey. So, uh, anyway, thank you for your company. If you'd like to get in touch, then please do get in touch. I've actually got, I think it's Lit London Radio, a Twitter account now, at Lit London Radio on Twitter. Um, or, of course, you can always email radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk. We've got some more great writers and authors to talk to coming up, so make sure you stick with us. On YouTube, we're also at bohemianbritain.com. But we're mainly Literary London on Resonance 104.4 FM.